I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. My name is Elon Jacobson, and deal-making is in my DNA. I'll be here each week talking with entrepreneurs and deal-makers about the crazy obstacles they've faced along their paths, and whether it's nature or nurture driving their success. Expect the unexpected on a deal-maker's DNA. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of A Dealmaker's DNA. I got another fun one for you today. I am joined by Jason Carvalho. Thank you, Jason, for, for joining me. You know, I'm gonna I wanna start, you know, I usually start with the background, but you know, Jason provided, you know, a life purpose that I wanted to read because I think it really encompasses clearly, you know, his vision for the future, but uh, probably uh, speaks to some of his past as well. So, you know, Jason's my purpose is to continue building the new economy and stay on the bleeding edge of innovation by investing in the next gen uh, of fourth industrial revolution founders uh, who are building a digital frontier that will reshape the human condition. Jason comes from 20 years of tech. He is a founder of Carvalho Capital, which is obviously investing in those entrepreneurs. He is also the founder and chair of Carvalho Foundation, uh, which is investing in social entrepreneurs. And before that was a recipient of top 40 under 40 award, uh, worked as a software developer for numerous companies, moved into business development, uh, which is my favorite area of, uh, of, uh, of, of business, and then uh, landed up being employee number one uh, for uh, Indocino. So uh, a really storied history and, uh, and background. Uh, so Jason, again, thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. So Jason, you know, I, I want to get, into you know the, the life purpose because there's quite a few different things there that I don't understand. Uh, and right before we went live, you you mentioned space tech and you know the, in, in your purpose is fourth industrial revolution. But I want to take a step back first, right? So so how do we get here? You know I always love hearing about the origination story of uh, of the entrepreneur. So you know tell me about your your early life and uh, you know what landed you in in first technology. Let's start there. Yeah, sure. So, you know, classic first generation Canadian born and raised in Canada. Parents immigrated to uh, to Montreal. Dad took a train across Canada to a small town in Kitimat, BC, uh, ended up being a welder for Alcan, which is now known as Rio Tinto. Mother was a banker. The town was about probably between 15 and 20,000 people an hour away from Alaska. So, you know, grew up probably in the hinterlands of hinterlands in Canada. So, you know, Winters were hockey, summers were soccer. In between was perhaps, you know, church, a prayer with the family, volunteering, community, all that good stuff that you're raised on. So I happened to really realize I was an entrepreneur very early on. Uh, I ended up getting a contract with Alcan, which is the company my father worked for, and was started installing Lotus Notes into probably 400 computers. I remember this that. Is, you know, yeah, you remember that. That's a classic. Uh, many people probably listening don't know Lotus Notes, but it was the pioneer at the time in terms of, uh, you know, Word uh, competing against uh, Google and Word, Microsoft Word and so forth. So essentially, I ended up going to Victoria and trying to find my way. Uh, I ended up helping run a business plan competition, ended up asking one of the sponsors that was uh, helping us with the business plan competition if I could work for him because I had the gift of gab. And that company just happened to be a 
company called Mercurial Communications, uh, which at the time in 1994, 1998, uh, was one of the premier custom software developers and was able to get contracts from Microsoft, AOL Time Warner and others. And so uh, the first product that we were working on was Netscape 8. So that was the last browser that was released by Netscape uh, before their their untimely uh, demise. But I was really thrown into software right away. And that product kind of gave me the first, at a very young age, like 21, 22, gave me the first win right? Like living in Victoria, a small town where 90% of people are senior citizens or, you know, students. The year is essentially uh, 1999, 2000. And we're working on this amazing product, which is being pushed out to millions of users. So my whole career kind of started off with, you know, a W because, you know, here we are being able to develop this product and work on it in a way that we've never done before. We were kind of working on the whole tab system, which we now see on Chrome and um, uh, Mozilla. We were working on being able to create the private mode, which was which was now just universal for all browsers and so forth. So that's kind of where I, I started getting you know into into tech. It just the gift of gab, the gift of of being part of that timing of the world, and that's kind of where we went. So I want to take a step back. You said something really interesting that you skipped over very quickly because it's probably super intuitive for you. But you fi- you said you, you figured out that you were an entrepreneur really early on. Now explain that to me. I mean, you're, you come from an immigrant family. I do too. Obviously, I know that that comes with its own challenges. But you <laughs> land up in a place next to Alaska. I mean, how did you figure that out early on? You know, it's it's a calling. I, I won't like bullshit you. It's literally a calling. It's, it's a sense of purpose. I was raised in a unique environment where like many immigrant families who come from uh, different backgrounds where their parents are hardworking. You know, their parents want you to become a doctor. They want you to become uh, a lawyer. These are, the, these are the things that are trained into you. But I had always known I was intelligent and stood out. And I was to be, I was to be frank, I was always impatient. I just wanted to go and get it done. And I just figure my way out. And so to be able to know that in an early age uh, and not be able to like communicate that to family members who want you to go and be in a nine to five, it was obviously, as we all have had that type of conversation, a bit uh, a bit mind numbing. Uh, but you basically know that you have this purpose in the world to build and basically to go and seek that out. And seeking that out essentially was trying to say yes to every possible opportunity that came down the pipe. This, the quick realization was that no one is going to do it for you. You essentially have to go and put that out into the universe and create that pathway because that pathway isn't formed, uh, especially for for one who is looking to be an entrepreneur. And especially during that time, entrepreneurship wasn't cool. It wasn't like the thing that everyone did. Not every person that you knew had a had a side hustle and multiple avenues, knew anything about internet marketing. Like we're talking about the very beginnings of the internet, right? Like I started my career in the first wave of technology where we were just building out the infrastructure. The browsers that we were using were just for the first time getting millions and millions of users connected to the internet. So you said your parents were supportive even though they didn't really understand, you know, what you were up to, you know, you landed up in Victoria, you have this kind of W, where does it go from there? So it was really quick. Uh, I think with a lot of success, you see that when you start reverse engineering success, it, it happens very quickly for, for some. So in, in my case, understanding my job essentially at Mercurial was to help find new business and to try and find people that wanted custom software developed. So if you think about this, 
you're living in a town of senior, majority senior citizens where the majority of people are going to school. Uh, you're living in a time in the year 2000 when people are outsourcing to India because this is when India is coming online and Bangalore and all these large uh, states are basically hiring third-party people to develop software at a cheap price. So essentially I had a little car that I bought for 500 bucks, you know, and I had a whiteboard in the back of my car and I would literally drive to any business that I knew. And I would ask them, Hey, look, we've got these big, big projects. We've got Microsoft, we've got AOL time Warner. we're developing millions of dollars worth of technology. Do you need some kind of custom software? And so it just so happened that my, because I'm gregarious and outgoing, every single time I met someone, I basically asked that question. And it just so happened that, you know, eight months later, I ended up at a party with some colleagues and talking with somebody that I got on really well. And the, this individual, this founder essentially said that they were developing um, some software security products overseas. They were affiliates. This is when affiliate marketing was just starting and they were going to plug in their own software into their affiliate marketing channels. And I said, Hey, why don't you come and meet with me and the folks? We'll do a functional requirements document and we'll sketch up, you know, what you need to develop your software. Let's see if we can do it here in Victoria. And that ultimately ended up being a multi-million dollar contract for the company. And uh, that company is called Pareto Logic Software Security, ended up being a profit 100 company for 10 years. It was the company that ended up saying, hey, we really love what you did. Why don't you come work for us? So I got the request to go, hey, you know, I'm, 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 I brought this client in. The founders who were four brothers, they want me to come work for them as their first employee because they're still running everything out of the house. The year is 2004. I asked my boss, I said, hey, what do you think? He says, this is probably pretty good. You're young. You got nothing going on. Why don't you go do it? And so off I went. And all of a sudden, I was working with these four brothers out of their home to build a software security company. At the same time that we're seeing Microsoft and McAfee have boxes of software in Future Shop. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, how, how much do you think of life successes are our luck? You know, because it's like so, so much of so like, and that's not to take away people's achievements, but I really do think that there's a lot of right place, right time. And I look back at my life and, you know, in a way I don't, I, I like taking credit for as little as possible and, and chalk it up to luck in a lot of ways. It's a fascinating conundrum because number one, 100% agree, 50% of success, if not more, is timing. The question ultimately is how long is that timing going to take place? Is it only for a year or five years? And so I think there is a, a catalyst that has to ensure that the individual or individuals can actually uh, seize that timing, right? Like, so for instance, if we didn't make the calls, we didn't go show up at the places and we asked the question, we would have reduced the probability that we would have actually achieved uh, success by harnessing that timing and then finding the opportunity and then being prepared for it. So the old ad adage of being prepared, I think is, is key. I think the other piece of it is that realizing that Timing exists. We know this old saying, opportunities, ideas are like buses. There's one coming around the corner every single minute. In the old days, it was every 10 minutes. Now it's like every 60 seconds. But I think really being able to say, okay, here's a window. And I, I want to speak to this in the background here for a second. Here's a window of opportunity. Can I go in and seize that? And this this document was developed by a colleague of mine in Sao Paulo, which he, he did in 2012. It's called Envisioning Emerging Technology. From 2012 to 2040, it has uh, a list of all the different technologies going from artificial intelligence, internet, all the way to materials, energy, space, and geoengineering. Each one of these bubbles, the round ones are consumer impact, and the ones that are uh, looking like clouds are actually clusters of technology. 
So in the old days, we didn't have access to the data points. So to your question, how much is the timing? Well, now we have access to the data points. We can actually tell between 2019 and 2030, we're going to see VR life forms. We're going to see the growth of the reputation economy. We're going to see computational photography. We're going to see fabricated embedded screens. So now we have the ability to understand where the timings of the opportunities, how prepared are we, and let's go ahead and start either building companies in those in those time periods or investing in those companies in time periods. Yeah, so I think that, you know, People that have the ability to look forward and not only just look back and, and now, you know, have a huge leg up. I think that for the most part, most people don't think about the future as much as they probably should. And, and that could be a function of just, you know, them having too much to handle on a day to day basis. And that could be a function of them not being interested. But I think that's where the 50% that we would classify as not luck comes into play. You land up at the security company. I know you had a few other roles after that, but maybe talk to me about this transition from entrepreneur to investor and how that happened. So the the quick summary of my 20s to uh, mid-30s was that I was really fortunate to be part of two companies that got to run rates of $100 million in revenue in Canada, in in Victoria, BC, Vancouver, Victoria, BC. One was Pareto Logic, the software security firm. We were able to get to 100 million because we verticalized the business. That meant that we were doing mergers and acquisitions early on. We actually built our own payment gateway. We built our own affiliate network. We looked at all costs of the business and we actually built businesses underneath that. The second opportunity was Indochino, which essentially was started by Kyle uh, Vuko and Heiko Gani, uh, who were actually colleagues of mine from Victoria. I had known them. In between that period, I tried to launch a, a, a online lending company. I failed. Uh, it was 2008. It was the downturn. Worst time to launch the first fintech company ever, essentially an online bank. Uh, but I got introduced to uh, Kyle, uh, who is the founder of Indochino, and I happened to be fortunate because I was one of the few people in Canada at the time that knew anything about online marketing. I had a great track record. I just came from uh, a failure as well as a success with Pareto Logic. And that company was very different than Pareto because it was venture capital backed. Uh, venture capital backed. My chairman was Jeff Mallet, former CEO of Yahoo. Our board had a stacked board of the who's who in, in technology at that time. And that company was all about top-line revenue growth, Whereas the previous company, Pareto Logic specifically, was about profitability. So in that 10 to 12 years I was with those companies, I was really fortunate to have this unique insight to seeing what a profitable company at scale looks like that's privately owned, that doesn't take money, and then what a venture capital-backed company looks like in terms of the pressures, the hiring, all of that, and all that good stuff that goes along with that. And so the impetus for me was really, what can I do now? Like, to be frank, when you start building things, you can see, you understand how it works. Once you built a house, you know how to build another house. It's not that difficult. And so the question for me was, how do I always maintain being on the cutting edge of technology? How do I always foresee what is happening? Because that is technically the thing that interests me the most. You get hooked on being you know, living in the future and building the future because that's what I hadn't been doing. And I've had lots of failure during that, during my thirties, I had a ton of different failures in terms of things that I was looking at. But I'd say that um, in 2017, I took a winter and I took uh, the whole winter and I just literally didn't talk to anybody. And I said, what am I going to do here in terms of going from entrepreneur and builder uh, to, you know, investor. And I basically just came up with this thesis. And I looked at all of the things that inspired me. And in the movie Tron, Tron talks about building a digital frontier to reshape the human condition. And I said, holy shit, this is exactly what I need to do. Uh, I would need to connect social impact and social entrepreneurship with, with the idea of 
being and investing in the future of the 4IR, which is really now the third wave of technology where we're going. So essentially, I came up with this hypothesis. I'm going to invest in founders that are building a digital frontier to reshape the human condition and started to look at areas based on the data points of different industries that I thought might really quench my thirst, you know, stuff that would be like, yeah, you know what? I don't need another, I don't need to invest in another software as, as a service platform. I don't need to invest in another e-commerce company. These are all important aspects of our economy, but really what's an edge case? What's going to move us to the next next version of humanity? And so I focused in on space technology as being that. So talk to me about defining the fourth industrial revolution and what that really means. And then also next, the, this idea of space technology and, and where your interests lie specifically. So 4IR started to develop over the last little while. And essentially the whole the whole idea of the fourth industrial revolution was that we're seeing uh, areas of the economy which had never come online before start to come online. So we're moving away from we're moving into rather a technological revolution where humankind is combining biotech, robotics, chips, materials together to kind of move us in this into a place where we're seeing true systemic change. And you have robotics, which are changing kind of how we work. We have AI, which is changing how we parse through data, enabling us to build better systems and understand data to predict things better. We're moving into a place where materials are more important. We're seeing that you know, with the case in point with uh, Elon Musk and uh, SpaceX, uh, the cost to be able to build a rocket, to uh, find the materials required to be able to power that rocket, uh, the reduction in cost for semiconductors have has dropped considerably. Moore's law now is like off off the cuff. We're just living in a time right now where humans are going to have to embrace this move, this movement to understanding that technology will be a bigger part of our lives. Maybe it's embedded into our bodies. Maybe it's actually running our cities. Uh, maybe it's helping, you know, run the actual future of our uh, stock market. I don't know. But essentially, you know, we're at this precipice right now where humanity needs technology. There's a million jobs right now in Canada that are not being fulfilled. COVID showed this. COVID showed that all of a sudden you put a virus into the universe, you know, all the jobs that were taking for granted, the people who were getting paid the $7 an hour, those people are not coming back anymore. So the reason why the fourth industrial revolution and subsectors like robotics and AI are now important is because these restaurants need to adopt robotic technology to make uh, and ensure that they can actually keep their businesses alive because those workers are not coming back. They moved on to actually starting businesses on Shopify. They can now sell whatever product from their house to make more money, or they're investing in cryptocurrencies, the digital future. If you think about the future, the future isn't at no point in Star Trek. Do they say, Hey, you know, I'm going to pay with this, you know, this, this uh, piece of paper with an old person's head on it. They're paying with digital currencies. So in summary, uh, the future right now is uh, very exciting because we are at a point in time where new technologies are going to make our lives more efficient and more effective. The issue of space technology, the reason why I specifically wanted to invest in space technology, and space technology is defined by many things. When you look at the space economy, we're talking about a trillion dollar economy. In Canada alone, if I can bring up some quick stats, we're seeing, you know, right now we're seeing probably, let's see, a billion dollars is going to be spent on space innovation. We're seeing 200 and uh 
2,100,000 jobs being created in space technology industries. This is individuals that are either uh, developing rocket ships and launch pads. They're developing satellites. They're developing the data platforms, the SaaS platforms, which will be on satellites, which will allow us to understand the data a lot better. Uh, you're talking about marketplaces. We are looking to right now invest in a company out of the Netherlands who basically is the Amazon of space tech, meaning there are engineers everywhere around the world looking for different parts. And they're going to this marketplace and they're they're connecting with different folks and they're finding the parts. A person might be in Nigeria who says like, hey, we're working on this, this uh, piece of technology. We need this part. So we're seeing a really transformation in our society. And there is a definite connection to understanding how our globe works. And with space tech, what we're trying to do right now is we're kind of like where the internet was in 1999. We're building the infrastructure. So you have people like, uh, you know, Musk, Bezos, they're building the infrastructure and kind of saying that we're investing in space tourism. Space tourism is a small uh, subset in terms of GDP for, for the globe. There's going to be only going to be a certain amount of people going to space, but really what these individuals are doing is they're building the infrastructure for us to be able to build actual labs in mid-orbit. And why that's important is because if, if you're looking at science, if you're looking at genomics and protonomics and all of these different areas of technology, what you're seeing is you're seeing that if we have the ability to actually take our scientists from UBC and from uh, Waterloo and put them up in the middle of a zero-G environment, they're going to see a dynamically different results from some of their scientific experiments. What that means for the consumer is that, you know, this little cloth that was developed here on Earth, the molecules are bonded based on 9.8 Gs. Uh, but in, in a sub-zero environment, anything is possible in terms of what molecules could potentially bond. So we could potentially be developing new pieces of clothing, which are completely water resistant. We could be finding new uh, medicines where the molecules are bonding in a way that once they've bonded up there, they come down here and they're able to be you know, provided and distributed in a way where it's maybe new medicines or what have you. So in summary, we're in this really unique time where we need to be investing in uh, edge case technology, which is going to have a, a lasting transformational effect for the average uh, consumer. So, so Jason, you're speaking about a lot of things that are things, right? Whether it be a material, whether it be a building material, what, like you know, whether it be a medication. What's your view on how the metaverse is going to change all this? Because you know, a lot of things, as as we look at the world around us today, are, are still external. And, you know, for, for, for my, you know, my opinion is as sad as it may sound and, you know, hearing Elon Musk talk about, you know, the, even the, the simulation theory and that the odds are we're, we're already in a simulation. I'm not, even, I'm not going to go into whether I agree or disagree, but, you know, I do think that the metaverse will have a fundamental uh, change on, you know, the investments into externalities versus, you know, the digital landscape in which one lives in. Yeah, 100%. I think the thing that people need to understand that are listening is that uh, there is no stopping the idea of the metaverse. There's no stopping digital currencies or cryptocurrencies. There are you know, trillions of people that are going to be adopting the metaverse are yet to be born. They will basically be born into the idea of living in the metaverse in some capacity. We've seen movies such as Ready Player One showcasing how individuals are basically finding ways to make money and they're making money in the metaverse, right? Like it's the question as an entrepreneur is anybody that's building anything or trying to get a job is where, where do you, where can you get a job? 
you can get a job offline or maybe you can get a job in the metaverse. And uh, we have literally millions and millions of teenagers that are playing on a daily basis in Fortnite. They come from school. They have uh, meetings in Fortnite. They watch Justin Bieber perform in Fortnite and they do transactions online. They buy skins. They do all this. This is the very basic microcosm of that economy. And so in summary, the metaverse is going to allow any possibility uh, to take place. Uh, The movies like Inception and others have given us interesting perspectives on what what is possible um my wife was just asking me about how the heck are people buying you know land in the metaverse for millions and millions of dollars well look there is a percentage of people right now that are realizing that there is money to be made in that environment and there are going to be people living in that environment so right now is the new frontier we need to you need to be able to go and you need to understand and build skill sets to be able to be active in that the adoption of uh facebook is a signal facebook's changed to Meta is a signal. They didn't simply acquire Oculus for fun. This is a larger part of their strategy. If you look at their uh, 20-year plan, which Mr. Zuckerberg laid out 10 years ago, artificial intelligence, 4IR, augmented reality is a core, core component of their strategy to uh, change the universe. First, his goal was to connect people. Now the question is, is, what's the utility? How can you actually change and create an economy with those people? And the metaverse essentially is the answer. Anything that you think you can do here, you can do in the metaverse. And if, if anything, you could probably make more money in that universe because it's brand new you can there is no limits currently in that in that universe so so you talk about you know where where can you get a job and building skill sets you know there's a lot of younger entrepreneurs and uh, individuals that are probably listening to us right now and you know the disconnect between the old mentality of our existing uh, educational systems and like the complete lack of connectivity to what is happening in the real world. How are those individuals supposed to get educated and be prepared for this kind of next generation of worker and, you know, where the places will be that one can have a, a meaningful impact and B make money. So Naval, who's the founder of AngelList, uh, had this quote, which actually was today, which was making money is not a thing that you do. It's a skill that you learn. So the important thing from, K from kindergarten all the way to university, should you decide to go and take that route, is that people need to understand that if they want to be successful, they need to understand the fundamentals of making money. A good example of this is uh, right now there's an app called Vive. Uh, it is a very easy app for anybody to download. I, I, I have no uh, investment in this, and I, I am simply just a user in this. Vive is one of the largest uh, online marketplaces for buying NFTs. And uh, essentially, it has all the major brands that are releasing NFTs uh, on this. So you've got Marvel, you've got Disney, you've got others. So on the topic of making money, understanding how money is made, and where can you buy investments that are going to triple 200%, 300% your investment, I'm going to give you an example of right now, uh, Disney released this, this NFT, which is just loading right now. And essentially, it's, it's like one of its first kind. Uh, you can kind of see it here. Essentially, it's of uh, Mickey Mouse's Fantasia hat. Okay, and when this when this was released, and this is actually very cool. Just quickly, essentially, the NFTs allowed you basically uh, scan and put the NFT on your. Uh, let's see if I can. Yeah, you can see that. So now, <laughs> I can put the NFT in anywhere in my room, and I can view it using augmented reality. Which is totally insane. So this NFT I purchased for uh, originally went on sale for six hundred dollars. Okay, 
sorry, went on sale for $60. There is only 633, 6,333 of them. I actually ended up buying it for $479. It is now worth $1,979 in 30 days. And so we're seeing we're seeing opportunities like this exist and this is the same thing with cryptocurrency you purchase any type of cryptocurrency and you're starting to see it increase so for those people that are listening to this podcast the question is you have to define your vivid vision for your life this is what i say to all of my portfolio companies this is what i say to people i coach what is your vivid vision in your life if you're by yourself or if you have a partner, you have to ask yourself, what are you trying to do? For some people, it's, I want to be able to make X amount of money. So I reverse engineer, I want to make $10 million in the next year. How am I going to do that? If I'm a young person right now, we, I have all these unique opportunities that exist. Uh, I have the opportunity to buy an NFT and see it actually 200% in 48 hours. There is no asset right now in the world that allows you to do that. I have the ability to buy uh, a comic book, which is an NFT, and see that increase in value by 200%. I have the ability to learn about cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency isn't about digital coins. Cryptocurrencies are about technologies. Every single uh, cryptocurrency, whether it be Solana or Arethium, are basically going to be the underlining technologies to different parts of industries. So in the old days, we would have a contract and we would sign it on paper. Solana is a digital technology which is going to empower smart contracts, allowing us to actually do business in a decentralized way uh, online, uh, which is really going to be the future. If you're going to be doing any contract in the future, we've already seen we're using DocuSign and other third-party technologies to do that, but they're not as secure. We're trying to find technology that allows us to secure these, these items. So in summary, I reverse engineer how much money I need to make. I look at all these different opportunities right now, and maybe I'm working, maybe I have a nine to five job. What I need to do is I need to do what all entrepreneurs do, and I think what all pragmatic people do. I reduce my costs, I live on what I need to live on, and I take any additional money and I put it into the new economy. And the new economy is written right here. I can send everybody this infographic and show you exactly what new technologies are emerging. And the question is, is how can you make your money work for you? And there are opportunities right now that allow people to do that. They simply need to be disciplined enough to be able to save that money. Instead of buying five Starbucks, well, why don't you take that? That's like $12 per Starbucks times five. You know, you, you, you can take $100 and put that and buy an NFT and have that turn into $1,000 in 30 days. In order to, for you to be disciplined, you have to wake up every single day and realize that the system is trying to take money from you. The system is essentially trying to, Bell is trying to take, you know, whatever money they can for, for their, um, their, from their phone. You're overcharging you. We're, we're the most overcharged citizens in the world for our, uh, for our internet and for our telephone. So make sure that you're not getting charged on a daily basis. Take that money and then put it into one of these new economies. And if you don't know anything about it, simply join a podcast like this, simply reach out to people and trying to gather information that says, okay, my vivid vision is I'm going to make $10 million. I really love the idea of cryptocurrency. How can I get involved in cryptocurrency? I'm going to go to crypto.com. I'm going to download the app and I'm going to take every bit of money that I don't have. I'm going to sell all the things I can't have. And I'm going to put it into one of the cryptocurrencies that is not just hyped, but actually is connected to a technology because I'm going to go on the all in podcast. I'm going to listen to some of the richest people in the world. We're talking about how they invest and I'm going to put it into that. And more importantly, I'm going to ensure that 10% or 20% of my net worth will continue to go into that. And I'm just going to be disciplined and continue to invest in that. In summary, two things that matter the most, real estate and digital real estate. 
those are, this is how you have to define success in, in the modern age. How do you go all in without risking everything? You know, because, you know, the NFT is an example. It doesn't matter what my opinion is, but they could be a bubble, right? Like there's an absolute possibility that you could want to make $10 million and you're on your way there. And then suddenly, poof, they go from, you know, instead of going from 100 to 1,000, it goes from 1,000 to $10. How can you balance the desire to be all in with the, the need to be prudent? So it's a very complicated question because if one is by themselves, it's very easy to be a little bit more risk adverse and to be a little bit more all in. And so, you know, number one, I say to anyone, I've said this to all the founders I've ever worked with, and this is the first thing I do with them. If they don't own a piece of property, we find a way in the first 12 months for them to go buy a piece of property. Okay. That's the most important thing because whether they raise money and they're profitable, for some reason, people don't seem to understand in Canada specifically, in order to build wealth, you need to understand how the banking system works. You can't run a business if you don't understand the products in the banking system. You can't become wealthy if you don't understand the products that the banking system is offering you. So number one, uh, look at your look at what you're doing and own a piece of real estate. If you own a piece of real estate, you will be able to leverage that real estate. You can go to the bank and say, you know what? Look, I need a $50,000 line of credit. I need a $50,000 credit card. Take that $50,000 line of credit, go to, I can share a cryptocurrency product that is basically allowing you to make 20% of return consistently over a period of 30 to 60 days it is, is better than any of the other products that exist in the banking market right now. But in summary, you're able to actually leverage your, your real estate and you're able to kind of invest into the new economy. I think when you're working with a partner, you both have to be on the same page. My partner is very, you know, she is a, a realtor and she's been very much an entrepreneur since she was you know, raised from entrepreneurs. So we have a vivid vision that we have a specific number that we're always looking in terms of returns on investment. And we're always looking to be able to say, we agree that 20% of X amount of dollars will always be in these quote unquote high risk investments. My problem with defining things as high risk is that I think it's incorrect. I, I think we're at a point in time right now where NFTs uh, will continue to grow the industry will continue to grow. I do agree that certain NFTs will have a lifespan, just like anything. When we used to collect trading cards, uh, they had a lifespan of what the value was because they got oversaturated. The same thing with comic books and so on. So just like how there's changes in our economy and we're seeing different every single five years of something new coming up, as an investor, as somebody that's trying to build your net worth, you have to know when you need to quote unquote cash out. And then when you, when can you take that money? I, I think from a cryptocurrency perspective, I think staying in cryptocurrency for a long period of time is going to be a value to you. And I think the, the thing that people don't have to find and they don't understand because they're not educated enough is they don't understand what their definition of risk is. What is risk? The future is already built. The future of our universe is already there. We're just right now creating pathways to get there. We will be traveling on starships. We will be using digital currencies to connect ourselves between here, the moon, the Mars, whatever is going to happen. All that stuff is already done. We're just simply paving ways to that. And we have to ask ourselves, what is an acceptable level of risk? In the old days, time wasn't moving as quickly as it is right now. Tiger Global Management and, and other companies like like that are investing hundreds of millions of dollars into companies where back in the old days, they would only, they would, wouldn't invest a hundred million dollars until they've actually taken 20% of that company. But due to COVID, they've seen the acceleration of these new markets and they said, you know what, we need to get in there. So we're going to deploy, you know, a billion dollars in the next six months because it's all about uh, percentages. You know, if we have that, this X percentage in this company, 
we're going to have a higher probability of you know equaling the return on investment that we want because the cycles of time of conversion are happening quicker and quicker and quicker so in the old days people would like right now we have warren buffett and, and charlie munger and others are talking about how cryptocurrency is a ban on you know investments and blah 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 but we're also seeing jp morgan and others and jamie diamond who has been outwardly saying hey cryptocurrency isn't is, is not the future but in reality in europe he's got his offices buying up cryptocurrencies and investing in bitcoin and so forth uh, people want to control the future and this is the issue the question you have to ask yourself is do you want to continue to live in the matrix or do you not want to live in the matrix living the matrix means that your time is now no longer your own living outside the matrix means that you've created a unique way to be out of that so number one going back to your very complicated question is how much do you need to live you and your partner what is that number put that number down on a piece of paper second define who if you're by yourself define what is the number one source of income that's going to allow you to live and then number three define how much time you're going to spend to increasing your net worth and how much time you're going to spend not worrying about all the things that are distracting you and focusing on the newer opportunities and learning new things about new ways to make money so for instance maybe nfts the, the current versions of NFTs are a bubble, but you're able to get in for a year, make money and learn a skill set, learn how to actually uh, transact and change, uh, change your mindset about how finance works. You've now changed your mindset and understanding that there are new products, financial products being developed in the cryptocurrency ecosystem that are not developed anywhere else yet. And those financial products, and this is what big banks are realizing now, those financial products are going to be sold to you at some point. So in order for you to actually make money, you need to get in right now and you need to understand them and then you need to create a plan to be able to monetize off of them. So very complicated question. Hopefully there's some structure there in that in that rant. Great. I mean, Jason, I know we've, we've gone a little long. For those that, like me, are, are super interested in, in learning more about you know, your opinions of the future, what's the best way that they could follow along in uh, you know, your journey and, and what you're up to? Yeah, please follow me on Twitter, Jason Carvello HQ. And uh, our VC firm is Carvello Capital HQ on Twitter as well. Awesome. Well, again, Jason, thank you so much for your time. And uh, until next time. That's it for this week. If you enjoyed what you heard, rate us and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time on A Dealmaker's DNA, where you can expect the unexpected.